Welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your host, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. I'm delighted to be joined by journalist and author Arno Agus. Thank you so much for being with us, Arno. It's a pleasure for me to be with you once again. How are you out there in British Columbia? Well, the news of, you know, yet another attack on Cuba is alarming for many yes. people, but very expected. You know, Cuba has demonstrated resilience in in terms of, you know, surviving a 60-year uh, blockade. So can you paint a picture for our audience who may not have been following the history of Cuba? What, what's going on? What's this conflict now about? Well, the, the current conflict arises from the first years of the Cuban Revolution, 1959-1960. At that time, the United States did not accept the Cuban Revolution. They did not, could not re reconcile themselves with the fact that uh, the Cuban people have taken political power and has taken the path of being a sovereign nation, building it, the, uh, its own economic and social system. Thus, right from the beginning in 1961, the United States, this is now public, issued, the State Department issued uh, their uh, a call for a blockade which openly says, this is not me saying it, they say we, you know, everyone supports Castro and there does not seem to be any opposition to, to Castro. Thus, what we have to do is to tighten the economic screws, make things unlivable for the Cuban people in terms of uh, economy, salaries or whatever, so that, and this is once again quoting from there, so that the Cuban people blame the Cuban government and revolt against the Cuban government. Now, that was 1960-61. What about 2021? It's the outcome of it, and it's the same situation. But what is particular uh, and very frustrating, I think listeners have to really pay attention to it, and that is the current situation in Cuba. First, Cuba has suffered the uh, from the blockade over 60 years. But in the last few years, under Trump, this blockade has been tightened to the extent that over 240 specific new measures of sanctions were taken by the United States against Cuba, especially the Cuban economy. That's one thing. Now, Biden came to power, and those 242 sanctions are still in place. Now, we have to take into account a very important point, this new attack by Trump and now Biden against Cuba is taking place in a situation of a pandemic. You know, it's really horrific to think that they are not even considered lifting the measures as a result of the pandemic. So this has created a, a very, uh, a very bad situation in Cuba as a result of the pandemic. Uh, for example, the uh, tourism industry has suffered enormously, and Cuba depends on the tourist industry. And then mixed with that is the ongoing uh, sanctions that are carried on, what makes 
virtually impossible uh, for Cuba to use uh, the little funds that they have, hard currency they have, to buy uh, material, uh, food, etc. That is necessary for the Cuban people. So you have this, you know, a, a poisonous mixture of 60 years old blockade, uh, hard being hardened by uh, Trump and now seconded by uh, Biden, and all this in the context of the pandemic. And so, uh, you know, I think what happened on last July 11th, uh, the most important feature uh, of that uh, July 11th, uh, what they are called uh, disturbances, was that some people honestly were expressing their frustration with regards to the effects of the blockade, the pandemic, etc. For example, people have to wait in line uh, long hours in order to get uh, the food and basic necessities. Of course, these long hours waiting in line is caused, among other reasons, by the fact that in order to uh, maintain the COVID-19 under control, only several people at a time could enter these stores. However, you know, there, there is a dissatisfaction. There's no doubt about it. You know, exactly what the State Department wanted 60 years ago, people should be dissatisfied. But the, the majority of the, the vast majority of the Cuban people are, are, are aware of the situation, but are not blaming the Cuban government, despite what the United States has been wishing over the last 60 years. Now, it's at the same time, in, into this mix of very uh, poisonous uh, uh, economic and social situation, the United States and its allies, especially in Miami and others in Spain, organized a very specific Twitter war against Cuba, whereby they used very sophisticated methods, thousands of Twitter accounts fabricated out of thin air, each one able to retweet hundreds and hundreds of times per second the hashtag SOS Cuba. In other words, Save Ourselves Cuba. To the extent that the, within 24 hours, the hashtag SOS Cuba became a, a worldwide trend and people were you know, hang, hanging onto it. And the impression was given that there's a general revolt amongst the Cuban people against the government. You have this uh, Twitter war going on. Uh, at the same time, the United States, uh, the main corporate media in Canada, United States and elsewhere, how do they portray the uh, small number of people who were demonstrating uh, against the Cuban government? They were very, very small. One cannot, sure, there were people who were involved in it, you know, and, and, and there has been, you know, several hundreds uh, of them in Havana and other cities across the country. But let, let allow me to give the listeners an example how the United States American corporate media completely mislead the people. For example, on that uh, famous uh, uh, July 11th, there was a massive demonstration in Havana in support of the Cuban government. Now, in that de demonstration, we photos that we see, you clearly see uh, a flat Cuban flag, but you also see the uh, familiar uh, black and red flag of the July 26th movement, Fidel's uh, creation back in the 1950s, indicating clearly that it is a pro-government demonstration. However, did this in any way uh, uh, hinder the corporate media? No, they published that photograph, and on the bottom they wrote, this is a anti-government protest. 
I love it. Give you an, an, one other example. This came out just a couple of days ago uh, with Ted Cruz, uh, I think in collaboration with the CNN. Uh, Ted Cruz was going on as usual. You have to, we have to intervene in Cuba to uh, save uh, the folks in Cuba and all that. Now, the footage that they showed while interviewing t- uh, Ted Cruz, the footage from Cuba, it originally had people holding signs Long live the Cuban Revolution, long live socialism, etc. What do they do? This is really hard to believe, Sylvia. I know you'll, you'll believe me, but some people might say, well, is that re- did that really happen? What they did, believe it or not, in that CNN report, as a backdrop for Ted Cruz, they actually blurred out the uh, signs that were saying, uh, you know, we support the Cuban Revolution. So people we're not able to see that this is a, a, a pro-government demonstration. Rather, they just presented it as an anti-government demonstration. There are so many other examples. I think this media war that has been going on, carried on by the United States, and the, the corporate media and other Western nations, I think I, I've been following this for many years, but you know, July 11th and 12th, etc., this has been perhaps the most vicious uh, media attack against uh, the Cuban people in many, many years. I mean, Twitter, you know, it's supposed to be a social media, but Twitter is actually an instrument in the hands of the U.S. uh, ruling circle to try and destabilize Cuba and provoke a revolt against the uh, Cuban government. Perhaps we could talk a little bit about why Cuba poses such a threat to an empire that has the largest military in the whole world, that has such power, and yet feels so threatened by a tiny little island. The Cuban people have chosen not to accept the saving grace of the United States, you know, that would lead us to live maybe in the conditions that Haiti finds itself, or any of the islands in the region that are so-called democratic and, you know, U.S. colonies. Yeah, that's a very good point, Sylvia. Right from the beginning, the United States could not and would not accept a country, even a small, poor island country with very little resources, to stand up to the United States and say, look, we are Cubans. We have a right to have sovereignty and independence. They never accepted it. And I think we have to add another feature that listeners may want to consider in the current situation, even though Cuba is a small island. In terms of international politics, it punches way over its way, way over its belt. It's very influential at a time, especially since the pandemic, where there are forces all over the world, for example, uniting together to oppose U.S. hegemony, U.S. domination, U.S. unipolar control of the world. For example, China is a very good example, you know, and then you also have Iran, you have Russia, even though Russia, of course, is not socialist, but at least the government there stands up to the United States, Vietnam, Venezuela, Nicaragua. So there, there's a move, international move now, especially since the pandemic, to develop what we call the multipolar world, which challenges U.S. hegemony, U.S. attempt to dominate the entire world. Now, Cuba, of course, plays a very strategic role. Not only the 
from the fact that it's only 90 miles away from the U.S., but Cuba has increasingly close t- ties with, with China, Russia, uh, Venezuela, Iran, uh, and many other countries. And these countries, what they have in common, it might not be uh, the social system as such, what they have in common is, I would dare to say, a hatred of U.S. attempts to dominate the world. Always, of course, Sylvia, in the name of humanity, helping people out. The same United States, you know, ushered in the post-World War II situation by bombing Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Then you had the war in Vietnam. Then you had all the wars going on in Central America and Latin America against the people there. So this is the country that's supposed to be the salvation for people in the South. I, I would say that a result of their arrogant attitude with regards to Cuba, this has, I would say, uh, increased the resolve uh, of, of the progressive peoples in the world, whether it's in Canada, United States, and, and Europe, etc., to defend Cuba as a very important feature of the growing multipolar movement across the world. Now, talking about sanctions, uh, there was an initiative, I think it was started by Venezuela, whereby a country, they established this new group, countries in the United Nations uh, in favor of the UN Charter. In other words, they're getting together to support, the need to support the United Nations Charter, and as a consequence, as part of this, is to oppose all unilateral sanctions carried out by the U.S. against all countries, whether it's Iran, Syria, Venezuela, Cuba, Nicaragua, etc., you name it. This is a a very important movement, and uh, I think Cuba is small, 11 million people, but Cuba's influence, Cuba's uh, standing in the world uh, plays a very important role in this new move by the countries around the world to oppose U.S. hegemony. Now, I also think it's important to realize the power of one small nation who instead of focusing their resources in developing weapons and develop you know and launching war against other countries focus their efforts on health education and when you talk about how influential they are worldwide despite their small size i think it comes yes. to bear that cuba has been a purveyor of health worldwide we've known of cubans going to areas where uh, pandemics and you know health issues have been rampant sending doctors you know their doctor brigades are really what cuba is known for so let's talk a little bit about what it has meant, even in the midst of all this aggression, even in the midst of all this uh, blockade, Cuba has has created within itself a population that's well-educated, that's contributing to society in, in, in a wonderful way. Uh, the, the United States declared that there's the, the uh, troika of evil, uh, Venezuela, uh, Nicaragua, uh, and Cuba, but this troika of evil have the best statistics with regards to containing COVID-19, which shows for anyone who is interested in reflecting upon it, the superiority of socialist system over the capitalist system, such as the United States, with all its riches, with all its advanced technology, etc. Their uh, fight against COVID-19 is far inferior 
to what has been established, uh, what has been going on in Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua. We're talking just about uh, just about uh, Latin America, but of course, China is also important a model uh, for for people looking to a, a new world. I think that uh, one of the things that positive outcome, we may say so, of the COVID nineteen was that it tore away the screen. Uh, about the capitalist system, the capitalist system is capable of functioning and all that, that's exposing to everyone. If the capitalist system is so great, how come they do not have a national health system where people can have treatment for uh, any illness or whatever free of charge? How come? Whereas in, in countries such as Cuba, they have that. They've been building that since 1959, 1960. So I guess the United States is a bit afraid that people may look at the current situation in the United States, which has in, in general been a failure as far as COVID-19, is, uh, containing COVID-19 COVID is concerned. People will say, hey, wait, wait a second, wait a second. Maybe we, we're looking, we have to look for a new system. Look what's happening in in Cuba, look, look what's happening in Venezuela, look what's happening in China. So, so I think this is a, a, a you know, that's a positive thing if, if we may use that term that came out of COVID-19. People are thinking, necessarily thinking of opposing system, other social system, other than capitalism. And there you have Cuba. You know, as you, you mentioned, you know, Cuba actually, while they're fighting COVID-19 successfully at home, they send hundreds of health brigades, the Henry Reeve Brigade, with uh, hundreds of doctors, thousands of doctors, to countries all over the world to help other countries uh, contain COVID-19, even sending it to, for example, Italy, a wealthy European country, asked for aid from Cuba, and they sent doctors right to the epicenter uh, of the COVID-19 outbreak last year. And there are so many examples. The only thing that is keeping uh, keeping people from revolting against the United States, uh, in the United States and allied countries from, from Canada, is that these facts that we're talking about now are not really well known at all uh, by, uh, by the people. It is kept from public opinion. It is hidden from public opinion. And the only ones who really... Uh, are trying to break through this uh, monopoly public opinion, whether it's in Canada, United States, are uh, people such as yourself, your program, and other uh, similar uh, alternative media, media in Canada, United States, and England. You know, we really need the work that you were doing. And in this context, I would like to highlight the work of Telesur, who in English and Spanish have done excellent work in general over the last year or two, but they specifically did a very good job in exposing how the United States manipulated uh, dissatisfaction in Cuba as a result of uh, as a result of the blockade and COVID-19, manipulated in order to try to provoke a revolt against the government. I would say that we don't have to look too far to find evidence of how the media has distorted images in the past to exercise the acts of war. We saw it in Iraq. We saw it. We, we see it, you know, in its constant aggression against Palestine. We see it in this constant aggression against Cuba, right? Everybody's talking about Cuba as a, as a threat, but we never think about Colombia, one of the most dangerous places 
uh, in Latin America for union activists, one of the places that has been on fire right now since April. You know, the people have been on the street, demonstrated a mass against the government, despite this being a very colonized country by the U.S. You know, military bases. They have seven large military bases armed to the teeth, and yet the people there are uprising against the Colombian government. So in many ways, I think our our job our, is to ask more questions. Says, why, why now? How is this happening? You know, and when we compare the numbers, you write, of people who die from COVID um, in Cuba compared to the way that the pandemic has ravaged the U.S. and other developed countries is shame. It's shameful, you know, that countries yeah. with so much resources have had such losses. Colombia is a good example. Like, you know, the United States, you know, Cuba, Cuba, Cuba. What about Colombia? You know, we say the same thing about Justin Trudeau, who has taken up the narrative of Biden against Cuba. This is not very well known because it's hidden from the public view. He's actually supporting the Biden narrative uh, against the Cuban government at, at this time. And, uh, you know, Colombia is an excellent example. You know, hundreds of people have been massacred, but never a word by the United States, Canada, uh, Michelle Bachelet from the UN uh, uh, so-called Human Rights Commission about, uh, uh, with regards to what is happening uh, uh, in Colombia. So it's very, very, you know, cynical uh, and it's, it's frustrating. There's no doubt about it. I would like to mention, you know, uh, I guess we don't have too much time, but uh, like we're talking about what's happening in Cuba. Yes, there was the vast, only a small percentage of the people actually participated in, in what we call, you know, these violent, um, like lumpen proletariat type activities. Uh, in, in some cities, I saw the footage of uh, in Cardenas, a city in the province of Matanzas, and I could not believe my eyes. You actually had these vandals, you know, actually attacking public property, actually attacking hospitals, etc. And I couldn't believe, is this Cuba? And it was interesting, Miguel Diaz-Canel, in his speech yesterday, public speak yesterday uh, in Havana, he said that, uh, our mother said that her uh, adult, his kid, asked her, hey, looking at the images from this, these vandals, uh, you know, uh, taking place, vandalism taking place in Cardenas and other cities, it says, ask, is this Cuba? I asked myself the same question. I mean, I've been, you know, I spent a lot of time in Cuba, and I've never seen this before, you know, uh, that you know, people actually carry out acts of vandalism against public property. And this is passed off by the United States as a legitimate revolt against the Cuban government. Which government uh, would accept that, you know, people take it in their hands to, to throw rocks and burn uh, uh, public buildings, etc.? No country in the world would accept it. Why should the Cuban people accept it? And Cuba has every right to seek out, try and prosecute those people who committed these acts of vandalism uh, against, against the uh, common property in, in Cuba. And of course, when this happens, the United States and their allies, oh, there would be, oh, look at that, Cuba is, is repressing. Repressing what? You know, in no country accepts vandalism. Why should Cuba accept vandalism? In 
coming to a close as we yes. realize that you know this is a very old story you know empire means hegemony means you know dictating how people see themselves right and and for us in Latin America the United States has had its foot on our throat for you know over a century now and right, we've seen yeah. countless invasions in Latin America over a hundred invasions in Latin America so it's not surprising that the Cubans are facing such aggression right there are one example against capitalism and a society that, that despite all these um, chokeholds have been able to be resilient to educate his people to keep them healthy and of course the pandemic has really um, handicapped their efforts and yet they are still doing much better than most uh, so-called capitalist democratic governments around the world so what is your call to people who are listening who, who can see through the fog of fear and the fog of lies what is your invitation but we really have to keep up this work about disinformation like yesterday I was really enthralled uh, the Miguel Diaz Canal as president led a, an important demonstration of 100,000 people in Havana last Sunday. It was a, a magnificent event. But, you know, we they barely showed anything, any of that. Or if they did, as I saw in one uh, Montreal, uh, I think it was CBC, they had to show it because, you know, you can't ignore it. 100,000 people in Havana with Miguel Diaz-Canal presiding over it as president. But they finished that up. They, they cut into a demonstration in Ottawa by uh, 10, 20, 30 so-called Cuban Canadians who were asking Trudeau for an intervention in, uh, against Cuba. Now, so, you know, so the point is that, sure, that took place in Havana, but really, you know, it's just the government there. And uh, they uh, provide a, a, a platform by a couple of, a few dozen Canadian-Americans calling for Inter U.S. intervention, Canadian intervention in Cuba. So, you know, this is uh, a really disgusting situation as far as the media is concerned in Canada. Uh, there are some exceptions, by the way, but in general, that is the case, and we have to keep on informing people with the means that we have about what the real situation is in Cuba and especially the role of the United States. The most important lesson is, especially in the pandemic, Biden should lift the blockade against Cuba. And Justin Trudeau, instead of seconding Biden's support for the uh, uh, counter-revolution in Cuba, he should say to Biden, lift that blockade now. In fact, there's a resolution in, in the parliament by Nikki Ashton, NDP, calling on the Canadian government to call out Biden to uh, lift the blockade against Cuba. But Justin Trudeau... Uh, you know, the great Democrat, smiling guy, instead of responding to that, he actually seconded and supporting Biden's uh, narrative uh, to uh, subvert the Cuban revolution. I think people have to wake up to Justin Trudeau, He's the smiling Justin Trudeau, liberal, uh, you know, poster boy. These are the most dangerous people, the liberal poster boys. Thank you for being with us today. I think that's a very powerful image. And um, 
you know, most of us have come to that conclusion already based on the the treatment of indigenous people here in Canada. You know, the fact that we have um, Mark Graves and, you know, on one hand, the government uh, issue an apology and on the other hand, they took indigenous people to the Supreme Court to revoke, you know, the decision to grant him, um, you know, redress for the crimes that were committed against them. So we, we know that the Trudeau government has not been, you know, opened and has not been dealing in good faith with a lot of people. So it shouldn't be a surprise that this is the case with Cuba and Venezuela and many other places in the world. So um, thank you for being with us. That's great. Thank you very much. Take care. We've come to the end of our show, Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an internationally syndicated weekly program made available through campus and community stations and available out to the world at www.latinwavesmedia.com.